Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we are going to be talking about it. Today, we are recording on February 26th, 2017. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of the show. With me, as always, is Brad Galloway, who is the editor of GameCritics.com. How's it going, Brad? It is going tired, man. I have had a really, really busy week, like unexpectedly busy, so I'm trying to... uh... Muster the energy, trying to get jazzed up for tonight's show. Feeling good, though. Been looking forward to it all day, so I think I'm, I'm in a good mindset. I'm ready to roll here. Good, good. Um, it's so flattering to me to hear that you've been looking forward to talking with me all day. Oh, yeah. I mean, how else are people on the internet going to be able to hear what I have to say? I don't know. One of these, if I like get sick or if I die or something, you're just going to have to show up every week on your own and talk by yourself. Well, we've got 20 episodes. I will just go back and like recycle those uh, those bits that you've already recorded. People will never know the difference. Oh, that's <laughs> true. You could do the thing where you just cut out every single word that I say and then just piece them together to try to make it sound as uh, as normal as possible. Totally be like Robo Jigsaw Corey, like for eternity. <laughs> you will live on forever, sir. All right. That's good. This is uh, this is my plan. Then thank you for hatching this with me. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> well, uh uh, listeners, I've, as you may have noticed, we went off script a little bit last week. Uh, last weekend, I was out of town, so we did not record on Sunday as usual, but we did record sort of an impromptu Wednesday show where we just kind of talked about whatever. It wasn't a ton of games talk. We just kind of did a little banter fest for about an hour and a half, and then that was that. But tonight, we are back on our normal Sunday format. And we're going to be talking about video games, as usual, for the bulk of the show. But of course, if you are a regular listener, you will know that we usually kick things off with a few minutes of not necessarily game-related banter. So, Brad, what have you got cooking for us? Uh, Just a couple things. First off, a new show that I started watching on Netflix. I feel like I'm talking about Netflix every single week. Every week, you're like, there's this new show I watch. Like... (laughs) Dude, I know, but that's just that's the power of Netflix, man. Every time I, I check it out, I'm like, oh, that looks good, or oh, that looks good. And they got they got it going on right now. The new show I'm watching is called Ultimate Beastmaster, which sounds ridiculous, but it's basically like a clone of uh, Ninja Warrior. Have you have you seen Ninja Warrior, Corey? Yeah, like where the dudes have to like run across the platforms on water and climb stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, man. I don't know where I originally saw Ninja Warrior. I think I saw it on YouTube, and then I... It was on Spike or something at some point. I don't know exactly, but I remember like watching the original Japanese version of it and just loving it. Like just thinking it was like so cool and so fun and so exciting. Uh, I think I watched all of the episodes of that. And then there was like uh, Ladies Ninja Warrior, which I thought was also really cool and interesting. I liked that a lot too. Um, and then I guess it just ran its course. I don't know if that's still going in Japan or what happened to it, but it kind of disappeared. And I mourned it for a little while, but then American Ninja Warrior showed up and it sucked. I don't like American Ninja Warrior at all. Um, <laughs> I just I just don't. I think they spend way too much time talking about the people's backstories. I think it's really boring and they go on for way too long. And also they change the structure of it. Like in the Japanese one, if nobody won that particular uh, tournament, then nobody won. That was it. Like they didn't crown a winner. But in the American one, that seems to be like that's an unacceptable solution. So it's like the whoever does the best is like the winner which I think is just not acceptable to me. It's like either you finish it or you don't. So anyway, I don't watch American Ninja Warrior, and I felt like that was kind of a hole in my life that needed to be filled. 
So here comes Ultimate Beastmaster on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Stars uh, Terry Crews and some blonde chick that I have no idea who she is. I mean, maybe she's from the world of sports or something. I'm not sure. Uh, but basically, they have built a giant structure. It looks like a giant metal dragon skeleton. Like, and it's enormous. It is so big. Like, when I, I first <laughs> saw it, I was like, is this CG? Did they actually build that thing? Because it is huge. It is so huge. Um, and the course is like you go in the dragon's mouth and you, you know, there's all sorts of obstacles, just like Ninja Warrior, rotating platforms, uh, you know, really uh, tough things to uh, climb across, like simulated like rocky face handholds, narrow pathways, stuff to fall down. I mean, it's all that crazy stuff. There's water at the bottom. So in case you fall, you like drop into the water. It's it's totally an unabashed ripoff of Ninja Warrior. But Ninja Warrior was awesome, and I don't have anything to replace it, so this is great. Um, I really like it also because it's very international, and so uh, they have the American judges, Terry Crews and this blonde chick, but they also have two judges, or, or announcers, I guess, from every other country that's competing. So there's like two people from South Korea, there's two people from Brazil, there's two people from uh, Germany, so on and so forth. And so like all of those announcers are like side by side and like they'll kind of cut back and forth between them and it gives it like a really interesting uh, just kind of angle. So you can see like other people from other parts of the world, see their language and they all all the contestants uh, who are from these different countries speak in their languages and they subtitle it, of course. But it's really neat because it just feels like, yeah, man, people from all over the world are coming together on this and it's just, you know, just good, healthy competition. It's really fun. Really fun. I really like it a lot. We watched the first two episodes. Each episode is about an hour. So it's a pretty good chunk of watching. And if you want more Ninja Warrior in your life, I would say this would probably fit the bill. I, I dig Ultimate Beastmaster quite a bit. That's um, exciting. Uh, when I used to do parkour back in my prime like five years ago, um, that was the one thing that like anybody I told I did parkour, I either got one of two responses. The first response was, oh, have you seen that episode of The Office? Because there's an episode of The Office where they do parkour that that's like the only reason why people know what parkour is. And then the other response I got is, oh, you should do American Ninja Warrior. Like, those are the only two things I ever heard when I used to tell people I did parkour. <laughs> and I have seen the episode of The Office. I have never done American Ninja Warrior, nor do I ever plan to. So I definitely know what you're talking about. That's just a fun thing, though. Like, if I had the opportunity, I would try it. Like, I would suck. Like, I would wash out, like, on the first or second obstacle. <laughs> but I would, I would totally do it, like, just for fun, you know? Like, just to get up there... And I'm, it looks so easy when you're watching it. Like, you know, some dude wipes out on like the, the mountain of pillows or whatever is the second, <laughs> second <laughs> obstacle in that thing. Right. And you're like, Oh, what a schmuck. He totally washed out on that thing. So easy. But then if I was actually there, I'm sure it would be like a totally different story. Right. Like I would just be like, Oh my God, this mountain of pillows is enormous or something, you know, whatever, whatever. But I would try it. I would try it. I would do it for fun. So anyway, ultimate Beastmaster on Netflix, give it a shot. I'm digging it right now. Um, another quick shout out to a local performer. His name is Louis Fox, F-O-X-X. -X. Uh, I went to a magic slash comedy slash singing slash variety show uh, with the Seattle homeschool group today that was put on uh, at a nearby uh, library. They have a performance space in the basement. So we went to go see it. It's put on for the kids. And he was one of the performers there today. He is a magician slash uh, stand-up comedian. And he just was great. I had never heard of him before today. But apparently he's been on um, America's Got Talent on the sixth season of that. He's been on a couple other TV shows. He's actually a Guinness uh, Book of Records uh, record holder for, I think, two different things. Uh, so he's, you know, he's like just a general performer or whatever. But 
we got there and the first couple uh, folks who came up on stage, they were fun and it was interesting, uh, but they were just okay. And then when he came on stage, it was like totally different. Like you could tell he was like really practiced and polished. Like everything just kind of went up a couple notches. He was like landing the jokes. He was like engaging the crowd. Like he just got everybody really um, like ramped up in a good way. And it was really cool. It was really fun. He actually called my son up on stage to do a trick, which I thought was just crazy because, I mean, what are the odds of us getting picked out of a crowd? But my son went up and he did like three minutes on stage with him. I actually got the whole thing on. T- uh, I recorded it on my phone, which is cool. And it was just really fun. He's a great, great performer. I had a great time. Just want to give him a shout out. I know he's probably not listening, but if you're in the Washington area or if you're anywhere around that you need to hire somebody to do like a show at your corporation or at your birthday party, your bar mitzvah, whatever, Good guy. I thought he was a great guy. It was really super entertaining. So thumbs up to Louis Fox, F-O-X-X. Um, and just one last really quick thing. This is a sad, super sad thing. I got on Twitter this morning and the first thing I saw in my Twitter feed was like a bunch of pictures of Bill Paxton saying, oh, you know, thanks for the memories. And I was like, no, 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 no. Not Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton can't die. I love Bill Paxton. But Apparently he died yesterday and I was like, oh my God, like I could not believe it. I mean, I, I am so sad. Like I, I loved pretty much everything he was ever in. I mean, I thought he was a great actor, great character actor. Every time his name popped up, like I knew I would be in for a treat. I mean, I just, I loved his work. I mean, he never failed to entertain me. And I really, you know, ever since like aliens and like, God, he was in, uh, near, is it near dark? Is that the one, the vampire one where they're like driving around in the, in the, in the um the desert or whatever you know that one have you seen that one Corey? where he played a vampire uh, no i have not i think it was called near dark that was really good i mean he's just been in like so many like really really iconic movies um and his performance is always just like the greatest so i i'm super sad that bill paxton is dead can't believe he died and he was young t- i mean you know relatively young he was only like 61 i guess it was like complications from surgery or something like oh jesus christ so anyway um you know Super sad about Bill Paxton. Shout out to him wherever he is in the cosmos. He will definitely be missed. So that is my banter for the week. Are you a Bill Paxton fan, Corey? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm like a super fan. I mean, I definitely know who he is and have seen things that he's been in, but I don't like actively seek out his like movies or anything. Um, But I've definitely, you know, seen some stuff that he's been in, like Aliens for sure. And he was in Twister, right, with Helen Hunt. Totally. Yeah. He was in Twister. He was in like so many movies. Like if you go to IMDb, he was in like a lot of stuff. And even though whatever he might have been in, maybe it wasn't always the greatest, but his performances I thought were always really good. Like you knew what you were going to get with him and it was always something good. Like he never disappointed me. So he will, he will definitely be missed. I feel like the world is like a little bit dimmer now that he's not in it. So I'm super sad. Well, thank you for making the podcast really depressing 10 minutes in. I appreciate that. Yeah, try to come back from that, buddy. (laughs) Well, uh, I, um, God, this weekend was kind of ridiculous. I had a couple friends come in town, two of my best friends from uh, Overland Park, like the Kansas City area. Um, One of the guys uh, of whom, his name's Adam, and we, uh, I was his best man for his wedding. Um, He and his wife came in, and it was kind of like, you know, we're moving to New Orleans, and they wanted to come and see us before before we leave but it was also more importantly um this week uh, or last week i guess i should say was omaha beer week and there's just a bunch of like beer related events going on in town and so i was pretty much drunk for most of the day yesterday like i got up and we went to we have this thing called beer fest here that happens twice a year and 
it was at an arena like on the south side of town um like an arena where they have like sporting events and concerts and stuff and it's basically just like all of these breweries that come in from all over the country um just like set up little booths around the inside of the arena um on the perimeter and you get like a little like a i think it's like a four ounce beer glass or something and you just kind of go from uh, from booth to booth. And, uh, usually the people have anywhere from like one to five or six beers and you get like a little two ounce pour and you have a little map that they give you and you can write like tasting notes and all this crap on the inside. So, uh, I, uh, did a lot of drinking yesterday. Um, drank a lot of beer. I drank a lot of good beer, drank a lot of okay beer. And then whenever we left, I was pretty drunk and we went and got, uh, like really greasy Chinese food and I was, like, drunk the whole time we were in the Chinese food restaurant, but I was keeping it together pretty well. And then we made the bright decision to go get cocktails. So we went out to this really cool craft cocktail place in Omaha called Wicked Rabbit. And it's actually, like, you walk in the store and it looks like a like a cigar and liquor store. But there is a secret bookcase and you have to push the bookcase forward and it opens up into the bar. And it's, like, a really neat cocktail place so i oh that sounds cool yeah it's really neat um and uh yeah so uh yesterday was like beer like all day and all night and this morning they have like for one of the final events of beer week um which you saw me post on twitter earlier today there's a little restaurant and bar down the street called crescent moon that i love they have their food is just okay but they have like the most amazing beer list in all of omaha and they do a an event on the sunday of beer week where they do a beer infused uh donuts and they did four different kinds of donuts today they had like one that was just like a bread pudding kind of thing and they had one that was a cinnamon roll and then they had two actual donuts and each donut has a different kind of i guess like beer mixed in with the batter and they have like a coffee flavored beer um to kind of pair with them um but it was pretty cool because uh luckily none of us were hung over today i was kind of surprised i wasn't hung over but we you know just kind of got up and went in and got to unwind our beer fest yesterday with some nice like beer e donuts and some nice uh, coffee stouts to kind of lead us out of the weekend so uh that was that's pretty good cool sounds like a good time yeah i definitely uh definitely had a good time um i don't think i have anything else important to say um do you we all bantered out <laughs> i guess so we can uh hop into our video game discussions um yeah yeah let's do it we got a actually you know i thought this week was going to be a light week but it, looking at the script i think we got quite a bit to talk about so let's just let's just dive into it yeah totally well last week whenever i asked you i was like or on wednesday when i was like oh do you know what you're going to talk about and you named off like six games i was like jesus brad you could like you just you alone could fill us for the rest of the month on shows so you better reel it in mister <laughs> I was kind of getting out of hand there for a while. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk. What, what do you want to talk about first? Um, well, I got a couple things. The first one, I'm going to break from tradition a little bit. I'm going to talk about two games at once because well... I don't really have. I know, right? I know. We're going to do like the three way of games right now. Um, and, I'll, and I'm, I'm going to be in the middle. I'm always in the middle. So uh... <laughs> I'm just going to let that soak in for a minute there. Ew. Um, Ew. <laughs> Ew, literally ah. Ew. all right whatever what games do you want to talk about uh well I'm, I'm picking these two games because i played them both and i i just want to name check them real quick but i don't really have like a lot to say about them so i figured i'll just uh just knock them off real quick um first one is line light l-i-n-e-l-i-g-h-t uh this is a puzzle game which just came out i think two weeks ago 
And I am unprepared because I have been extremely busy this weekend. Normally, I would say the developer and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I believe it's on all platforms. So it, I, it's not a PlayStation exclusive, I don't think. And I apologize to developer. I don't know who you are. I'm sure you're very nice people. <laughs> but uh, Lion Light is a game, is a puzzle game, but it's a very kind of unusual one. Uh, every puzzle in the game is kind of like, uh, how do I even describe this? It's, it's like a section of lines, but those lines are connected to other lines. And your section of the puzzle is connected to other sections. So like whatever you see on your screen is very simple. You'll just see a couple lines coming in from the left and the right. They may curve around a little bit. But if you pan the camera back, you would see that those lines were connected to like this giant maze of other lines. So it's kind of interesting. You play one tiny little section of this giant map at a time. I, I'm not really doing justice to explaining this properly. I apologize. But it's a very cool, neat thing when you see the way that it works. Um, regardless, you play as a little section of light. You play as a white colored section of light and you are in these like wires or these lines. You cannot jump off the line or anything. It's like you're kind of just moving along this line. And so you have to figure out how to get from point A to point B. It seems really simple at first and it is, uh, but as the game goes on, uh, you're doing a lot more. I mean, there's some obstacles, like maybe you'll have your little section of light and you're traveling along this wire. You cannot jump from it. You cannot leave it. You just, you're stuck on it. And so maybe there'll be like uh, a gate or something. And so like you have to figure out, do I go left or do I go right? And if I go left, then will that loop me around in the right way? Or if I go right, will that, you know, where will that take me? Uh, later on, there are little enemy sections of light that show up. They're kind of like a little red. And so you have to avoid them. They kill you if you uh, touch them, but you can also manipulate them. So like if you are near like a switch, maybe you can switch like a, like a, the way that you switch a train track, like you can get those red guys to maybe go a different way, avoid you, or maybe you can manipulate them to like hit some switches that are on the other side of the map for you. Um, there are like differently colored gates. And so you have to kind of figure out which order to go in. Like it's all very logical. And if you do careful observation of each section of the puzzle, you can figure it out. But the trick is that there's also a fair amount of reflexes involved in that. So I don't necessarily recommend this to every puzzle fan because I think more than some other games, this is one where even if you understand what you're supposed to do, you still need fast fingers because sometimes it's all coming down to like a split second of wait until this thing happens and then I do this thing and then I make it. And if you're not fast enough, you just don't make it and try again. So it's a it's an interesting balancing act between sheer logic and actually just having reflexes. It's interesting though, and I like it. I think it's pretty cheap. I think it's maybe like 10 or maybe $15 on the PSN store. I felt like it was a good value and I have been enjoying it. I did not finish it because I had to move on to other things for review, but I really liked it a lot. And I didn't, I have not seen a lot of stuff like that. So I felt like it was pretty fresh, pretty interesting. Um, so if you want something a little off the beaten path, as far as puzzlers go, uh, Line Light, I think is, is probably going to be of interest to some people. So I wanted to give a shout out there. Have you uh, tried Line Light? Have you seen it, Corey? I've seen uh, in my PlayStation 4's like little social media feed thing. I've seen a, f a couple of other people playing it. Um, I don't really know what it is though, but the way you're describing it, it kind of sounds like like a cross between the old um, Snake mobile phone game and like a Tron like light cycle sort of grid exploration thing. Am I anywhere close to that? To what it is? I mean, vaguely, it, it's kind of it's kind of like that, except for. Imagine like that Tron thing, but instead of being able to go wherever you want, you only have a very like specific number of paths to travel. And that's kind of, kind of, sort of what it is. 
Uh, it's really hard to describe because it is kind of its own thing. But I mean, it's very simple to pick up. It's very easy to understand, hard to describe. And I'm again, I apologize for not doing it justice. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Just take a good look at the screen. We have a couple screens up at Game Critics. I did a uh, this is not a review for it uh, a week or two back. And those screens will give you a pretty good um, approximation of what it's about. So take a look. If it seems like your bag, I think it's worth a gamble. So I liked it. I liked it. Uh, the other thing I want to give a quick shout. Well, I don't know about a shout out, just a shout, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a thing? Do I give a thing a shout? You can I don't just know if shout that's a thing. at something. I guess. I guess. It's called Wild Guns Reloaded. This is a remake, remaster remaster not a remake remaster of i guess it's a apparently a well-known arcade game from back in the day i've actually never heard of it before and it was something that was brand new to me have you ever heard of wild guns or did you play it in arcades back in the day or do you know anything about it i have no idea what this is okay so we are both coming to it pretty pretty fresh um apparently it was a thing back in the past at some point and it was i guess well enough well enough known that someone wanted to remake it. Uh, it's interesting. It's kind of like the Wild West meets like steampunk. So that was kind of a cool thing. I like it when those things mash up like that. But it's really like an arcade game. You pick one of four characters and then you go into a level and it's just basically like a shooting gallery. Your character is in the foreground and the background is like like a Wild West, like a saloon or you're on a rooftop or you're in a cave or something like that. And then all these enemies like pop up from these windows or they come from, you know, either side of the screen or they drop in from the ceiling or something. And you're just kind of shooting them. It's weird because now that controllers have two sticks, it's your, your gut instinct is to say the right stick is to aim my reticle and the left stick is to move my character. But that is not how it works. You only move with the left stick. And so you can move your, your reticle around. But if you keep holding it, then your character will eventually move. So, like, if you want to dodge right, you hold your, your crosshairs all the way to the right side and keep holding them. So, like, it's like you're aiming to the right as far as you can go. And then, once you cannot aim any further right, then your character starts moving. It's clunky as fuck in the beginning. Like, it's really confusing to your brain. I just struggled just with the movement at first because it was so counterintuitive. Uh, and it it's also worth noting that with those four characters you can choose from, each one feels pretty different from the other. So if you pick one and you don't like the way they feel, try another one because it's not just a palette swap. They all have like different abilities and their movement feels very different. So I picked, um, there's like a uh, full figured woman who's like a demolitions expert. And I picked uh, her at first and her, she just, I, I couldn't get the hang of her. I just didn't understand what I was doing. And then I went back to like a, a Penelope pit stop type of character. She's like, a, I don't know, Southern Belle or something like that. And her movement was like way crisper and easier control. There's also like a dog who has like a drone, like a like a flying drone with machine guns attached to it. And like the two of them are one character together. And he was like kind of weird too. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I like the aesthetic. I mean, I like the mashup of like Western and steampunk, but it's really hard. Because it's like it's like one of those old school arcade games, you know, like there was like no mercy back in the day and they were designed to like eat your quarters. So it was really tough. And if you die before completing a stage, you got to do the whole stage over again. Kind of a bummer. Uh, I got past, I think, two or three stages. And then I'm like, eh, I like it, but I don't like it that much. And I'm kind of tired of playing the stage. So I'm going to bail. But it's interesting. I mean, I think it's a little bit overpriced. I think it's going for. 30 or 40 dollars which is way 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 too much um if it came out for like 10 bucks i would say go for it 
if you are an arcade fan or a fan of something like, you know, these these retro remakes or whatever. But for 30 or 40 or whatever it is, it's too much. Um, definitely wait until it goes on sale. It is not that good. But for 10 bucks, it would be good. For 20 bucks, 30 bucks, it is not that good. So anyway, just a shout out to let people know that it exists and that it's a thing. And maybe there are people out there who actually remember Wild Guns from back in the day. I am not one of those, but I mean, there must be somebody out there who remembers it, right? So anyway, that's Wild Guns. Um, that's that's all I'm going to say on these two things. Um, let's uh, let's go over to you, Corey. What do you, what do you got cooking? What's first up for you, man? Well, the most recent thing I have been playing is uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Uh, Idis Montreal released uh, the second, and I think it's the final um downloadable content pack i'm not positive about if it's the final one but it's definitely the newest one it's called a criminal past um deus ex came out at the very end of august last year and they released um system rift their first dlc pack i can't remember when it was like three months ago or something like that and now they have a new one called a criminal past out and in this one you play as adam jensen and and Mankind Divided, he is with a task force called uh, Task Force 29 based in Prague. And allegedly, the Criminal Pass DLC uh, details his first like major mission with Task Force 29. So it's like sort of a prequel to, um, to Mankind Divided, although it doesn't really have anything specifically to do with it. But you play as Adam Jensen and you are going uh, deep undercover into a prison that is in, I think it's in Arizona. It's like an AUG-only prison. So if you have cybernetic implants and you're like a major threat to society or if you have a lot of um, convictions or something like that, that's kind of where they send you. It's like a super max, like AUG prison. And there is another agent in there who is also undercover. And I guess you're they're inserting you to get him out because the terror attacks are supposed to be starting against augmented people in the future. And... Task Force 29 believes that the other uh, deep cover agent has info because he's been in the prison for like two and a half years and they send Jensen in to get him out. The story is super convoluted. Like on the surface, it sounds easy. You know, oh, there's an agent undercover. Let's send Jensen undercover and, you know, find a way to pull him out. But, you know, it gets very weird. Like there's this other uh, like this this uh organization i guess called junkyard that are like drug pushers or something that get involved and like the warden of the prison gets involved and like maybe he's working for junkyard and it just it kind of flies off the rails a little bit um but i mean it doesn't really bring anything new to the deus ex table um like i really like deus ex human revolution is one of my favorite games of all time i think mankind divided was a step down from human revolution but i still really liked it because the gameplay is just the sort of like third persons, or I guess it's first person with third person uh, elements like the cover system and stuff. But it's like a perfect like therapeutic first person like stealthy exploration exercise for me. So I downloaded it on Thursday when it came out and basically played it two days in a row back to back. I played the whole thing on Thursday. I played it for about six hours straight and I got... When I beat it the first time, I got all but three trophies for it, so I was feeling pretty good about that. And then on Friday, I basically did the exact same thing. I played through the whole thing again. I made a few different choices to see if it affected anything differently. And then I went back and did a little extra trophy hunting. So at this point, I played it about two and a half times. I have all the trophies. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty good. It's not, um, it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. 
which I feel like DLCs don't necessarily have to, because I wouldn't expect a downloadable episode to, you know, like completely change the way the game feels or anything. But I mean, if you know what Deus Ex is, it's basically just more of it. You are having conversations with convicts in the prison yard. You're exploring the the prison. You're trying to find secret passages around and trying to get um, the other double agent out and, uh, you know, just stuff like that. But I mean, it was satisfying enough. It wasn't amazing. Um, the thing that I think is the most disappointing about the fact that this might be the last DLC pack for the game is between the events of Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, there was like a big, I guess, like two year gap or something where Adam Jensen um, was like held in Alaska for something like while his his augs are being worked on because at the end of the first game, he gets um, in kind of a situation that leaves him floating in the middle of the ocean. And I was really hoping that the DLC, that they would have a DLC episode that would kind of go back to that and flesh out the events between Human Revolution and Mankind Divided because it seemed like Idis Montreal kind of wiped the slate clean as much as they possibly could between the first and second game, which doesn't make any sense to me because Human Revolution didn't have like a mind-blowing story or anything, but it was definitely good enough and I was invested in a lot of the characters. And then Mankind Divided comes along, and it basically wipes all the characters clean from the first game, except for Adam Jensen, and kind of brings him into the second chapter. And overall, Mankind Divided just kind of felt like like a second part of like a trilogy that was sort of just served as like a bridge from the first game to the third game. But now that word is out that uh, Square Enix and Marvel have signed this big like Marvel video game deal... Um, Idis Montreal and Tomb Raider developer Crystal Dynamics are going to be working on, I guess, Marvel games for a while. So, like, there's no telling when we're going to get another Deus Ex game down the line. Like, it could be, like, 10 years from now whenever we see another Deus Ex game, unless they form another studio for it or, like, somehow sign the rights over to somebody else or something like that. So it's just kind of disappointing that it feels like Mankind Divided itself didn't end on a super great note as far as, like canon uh like sequential order is um is uh, assumed or uh and then the dlc didn't really bother to flesh out anything going forward or anything between human revolution and mankind divided so i don't know i'm left with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth but i mean the dlc is fine either way i mean it's it's enough to play i spent 12 hours playing it for two days so i can't act like it's bad or anything yeah, well, I know how you like your, your Deus Ex. I mean, I, I do love Human Revolution. I love that game quite a bit. I thought that was an amazing game. Um, I did not like Mankind Divided uh, as much as you did. And I know you didn't really even... I mean, I know you liked it, but you weren't, you weren't like head over heels about it. I mean, I know you had some complaints about it. I liked it even less than you did. I didn't even finish it. I, I fell off pretty, pretty quick, so I don't think there's any chance of me... Uh, firing up this dlc i I think i'm okay to just kind of let it go and you know i don't know maybe maybe deus ex going away for a while would be fine because it seemed like what they did with mankind divided was i mean just just not really that impressive i don't feel like they took it a step forward it just it kind of felt like just more of the same which i guess is okay but it, it was such a long time between installments it would have made more sense for that game to come out a lot sooner uh but i don't know i mean uh human revolution was such a great game i have a hard time imagining them topping it so maybe we should just let that go for a while i don't know we'll see yeah maybe i mean the fact that they're working on the marvel thing might be good for the series but i would like more deus ex sooner rather than later but 
who knows? I guess we'll just have to see what happens. True, true. All right, let me uh, let me kick off my next my next uh, thing to talk about. Um, I gotta collect my thoughts on this. It's so I want to talk about Horizon Zero Dawn. I talked about it last episode, and I was really high on it, and I really liked it a lot. I've uh, gotten lucky, and I was able to put a lot of uh, time into it the last couple of nights. I've lost some sleep. I'm really tired, but I, I just really wanted to stay up a little bit and get some time in on it. And I have to say, this is one of those situations where it starts off really, really strong. And then like the more I play of it, the less I like it. So oh, I'm really man. starting. Yeah. I'm really starting to cool off on it. Um, I was Mike Susky, who is a writer for game critics made a comment the other day and he was kind of like, Oh yeah, I know you, Brad. I gotta, I gotta, take what you say with a grain of salt, you know, because uh, I started off really liking, I forget what he said, some other game and cooled off on it. And I, you know, I don't think that I have a reputation for somebody who like instantly loves a game and then cools off on it. I think maybe what's probably more accurate is that a lot of games start off really well, or at least the developers put a lot of time into the beginning. And as the game goes on, they just don't, are not able to sustain their playtime. And so like, as you get further, uh, you just kind of realize like, eh, this isn't, keeping me as hooked as it did initially. So I don't think I have the reputation for being one of those easily excitable cheerleaders, but uh, yeah, you know, um, either way, I'm really, really cooling off on Horizon. Um, like I said, it does start really strong. I think the first five hours are really put together really well. Getting to know the character, uh, her name is Aloy, just seeing her in childhood, uh, getting that little training section, getting to know her adopted father, getting to know her relationship with the tribe, getting to see how they treat her. Um, as I mentioned before, she's like an outcast. And so like everybody she meets treats her like shit and they're really assholes to her, even though like she doesn't know why she's an outcast. And she's really a, like a fine person. There's nothing nothing on the surface that would make you think she's an outcast for any reason. But like having that environment of like those social interactions and seeing how people shun her and everything, it gave you a really good sense of the world and it gave you a really good sense of who she is and why she is the way she is. And that was really great. Um, but once you get a couple of hours in, that just goes away. Like you you, you talk to a person in your, in your town, something happens and they say, okay, Aloy, we know we treated you like fucking garbage five seconds ago, but now that this thing has happened... You are only hope. Whoa, imagine that. So you get the permission to, number one, you're back in, you're back as part of the tribe again. So everybody's like, yeah, it's all good. And then they send you out into the world to like accomplish this big task. And when you go out, people will like occasionally say, oh yeah, you're that exile girl, whatever. But like nobody really treats you any differently and nobody really kind of mentions it. So that part kind of goes away. And then Nowhere in the world that I've been to is as fully fleshed out as the initial village. Like, I think I've been to two other, like, settlements or encampments. And everybody there is just, like, totally, like, a generic NPC. Like, they... It's like that weird thing where they, their face doesn't match their voice. Like, sometimes you'll... You can tell, like, an actor is maybe doing a couple different voices. And so you'll get, like, somebody who's, like, talking to you. And it just... There's nothing about them that stands out. Like, it's just, like, they're random NPCs. You don't remember their names. Um, the quests that they send you on are really kind of dull. Like you start really immediately. Like I think already I've already found like I think three or four different quests where somebody's like, oh, my brother or my sister or my dad is missing. Please go find them. And I'm like, I did it the first time just to see what it was going to be like. And it was totally boilerplate, like open world quest, you know, go over here, do this thing, uh, kill something, you know, rescue the dad, brother, sister, whatever, and then come back. And then 
it just kept repeating. And I'm like, well, this is really boring. This is not imaginative. This does not fill in the world in any way. Um, there's a whole bunch of busy work. Like you get these maps where they, they tell you where certain things are like, oh, here's a rare item. If you go to this area and search, you'll find a rare item. And I did it once, you know, like I'm doing all these things once just to see what they are. Right. And they're all just like dumb. They're just like, you know, get this doodad for whatever reason and then come back and then go over and clear out this area for whatever reason. Like there's these, uh, robots that are quote unquote corrupted. And it doesn't really explain like what's so bad about them because the world is already populated with aggressive robots. So then there are like these even worse corrupted robots, but I'm not really sure what makes them worse. I mean, they drip like poison, like these little tiny little poison pools that evaporate after 30 seconds. But that's like the only difference I can tell between those robots and the original robots. But apparently the new ones are worse, but I don't know why because they're colored red. Apparently that makes them worse. So, you know, you, you clear out these corrupted robots and they're like, yeah, cool. Thanks. But nothing happens. Like nothing changes. Like it doesn't feel like you did anything, you know, like you just, you do this quest and you get your EXP and then you just move on to the next one. So like, I'm really disappointed that the developers have such a cool premise. Uh, and technically like the world is so beautiful. Like it looks really great, but they just, they're falling into like open world tropes, like so hard after the first couple of hours. I just, I'm really getting bored with like all the side quests. I stopped doing the side quests and I'm just kind of mainlining it. And even in the mainline quests, it's like, I'm, what am I doing again? I'm going over here because, because why? Oh, because my map marker is over there and I don't really have any real reason to go over there. Well, I guess so. That's what my quest says I should do. So I'll go over there, but there's no motivation, you know, like I'm not in it anymore. Like I want them to get back to that feeling of the first couple of hours when I really felt for this character and I was really interested in what was going on. And man, they just, they dropped it so hard. Um, the other thing that's worth noting is that I feel like they have really made some big, big mistakes when it comes to the combat, which is really unfortunate. Uh, in the beginning, it seems like you can choose like a stealth path or maybe like a more combat path. Like maybe you could play it your way and a large part of the game is talking about, well, you have all these different weapons and tools. You can approach a situation the way you want to. Um, that, I guess, is sort of technically true, especially at the beginning. But it rapidly becomes apparent that the stealth has not been thought all the way through. Uh, I kitted myself out for stealth because I wanted to play sneaky sneaky. And after a couple hours, that is just no longer viable. Like you get into these combat situations where you have to fight. There's no way around it. And very often... You will like, you'll sneak up on a, a big robot in the wild and fighting big robots one-on-one -on -one is actually pretty cool. Like it's got a little bit of a monster hunter flavor to it, but what happens is you start fighting this big monster and then all the other monsters for like a 10 mile radius swarm your fucking location. And before you know it, you're getting fucking gang banged from like all sides. Like, you know, today I was fighting a giant like mechanical bull and that was like a rough fight. He was kind of kicking my ass, but I was, I was trying to stay in there. All of a sudden, like three like mechanical eagles swoop down on me from somewhere. They're shooting ice at me. Then like this like gazelle was like shooting like whatever he was shooting at me. And they were charging me from all sides. And I was just getting battered around. And I just got killed like so quick. And it's like it doesn't matter if you give a player a bunch of options or stealth or whatever. If every combat encounter ends up being a giant fucking messy ass gangbang, that's that's not doing the player any favors. Or you're not giving them a choice about how to play you're taking strategy out of it. And it just becomes like, I got to wear as much armor as possible. I got to get the heaviest weapon possible. And I just got to fucking survive. Like it becomes that kind of a slug fest. And it's just not fun. Like I was really like disengaging pretty hard this afternoon because 
you know, trying to approach it all stealthy, like, oh, I'm going to set up a trap over here. I'm going to lure this animal over here. He's going to fall in the trap. Then I'm going to jump on him from behind and like stab him in the back and carve off his armor and do this thing. And that's all well and good to think that, but it falls apart the second you actually start doing it. And it just becomes like a big fucking mess. So I am very, very, very disappointed in Horizon right now. Started off amazing. And even with all those problems, I still think it's better than any of the Killzone games that Guerrilla Games has produced. But it's losing me so fast. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if I'm even going to finish it because I've heard it goes on for like another 20 hours past the point where I am. And I'm already kind of like, eh, maybe had enough of it. So disappointed, man. Really, really disappointed. So as far as um, like the RPG elements in it go, I'm assuming that it has some kind of like skill tree and stuff that you can level up for for the character. Does... Do like the skills or the things that you can level up? Does any of that, like the promise of unlocking those, offset the fact that some of the main and side quests are like repetitive or boring? No, not really. I mean, you can see <laughs> the entire skill tree um, from the get go, so you know what's there. You can make an educated, informed decision about which skills you want to invest in. But you know, like, um, like a third of the skill tree is just about like harvesting resources. Which I mean, I forgot to mention. The crafting system in this game is just, it's bullshit. Like, you're just, it's busy work. Like, you're picking up a lot of stuff. And there's, like, 15 different suits of, of clothing you can get. And it's not really clear about what's different between them. Like, they don't seem appreciably better. Uh, like, I bought a stealth suit, and I couldn't really tell what made me more stealthy as compared to the combat suit. I felt like it was exactly the same. You get, like, there's, like, three or four different bows, three or four different slings. Like, and it's, like, it's just, it feels like stuff for the sake of having stuff like, you know, so that is just a lot of busy work. And a lot of the skills I think are just kind of hit harder here, you know, 15% more damage or, you know, you are quieter, but I don't know how much quieter I am and, you know, find extra resources. Like it's all just like survival stuff, but it, none of it feels like, like you're really specializing or like it's really going to change the way you play. Um, after, after putting in the number of hours I put in, I think I'm about maybe 12 or 15 hours in, I, my advice to anybody picking this game up would be to go as heavy as possible. Just go for all combat, all defense, and just you're going to have to slug your way through it. Like there's just there's no no getting around it through the game, through your equipment or through the skills. Like the game is just built a certain way. So that's that's really disappointing. Yeah, that sounds uh, that does not sound like fun. <laughs> no, it's not, dude. And to be honest with you, to be honest with you. This game has quite a bit in common with um, Far Cry Primal. Did you ever play Far Cry Primal? Yeah, because on the last show, I believe I said that it sounded like Far Cry Primal whenever you were discussing it. Did you like it or did you not? I mean, I thought it was fine. It was Far Cry 3 and 4 just reskinned as um, like uh, old. I can't remember the word for it, but like, you know, bows and arrows and stuff. Okay, so I I skipped the last couple of Far Cry games because I just I've never really been a big fan of that series, but I was interested in Far Cry Primal because of like the prehistoric setting, and I played Far Cry Primal. I loved it. I mean, I did. I literally like hundred percent of that game. Like, I thought it was really fun. It was the right game at the right time for me, and I thought that the concept was a good fit for the content. Um, you know, making bags out of animal skins and you know finding bones to level up your village. Like that all made sense. Like it was it was easy to grasp. It was pretty well streamlined and it was very clear to see like when you got a better club, like it immediately felt like a better club or when you got a better bow, you're like, oh, this is way better than the last bow. Right. So I think uh, 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 Horizon steals a lot, like directly lifts it from Far Cry Primal. Like you're still making bigger bags out of animal skins. 
But instead of like three or four bags, you've got like 15 different kinds of bags, which is really stupid. And like when you make a better bow, it's like it doesn't even feel better. It's There's different elements you can equip, but it doesn't feel like you're advancing. It's like you're just having options for the sake of having options, but you don't know why. And I, I have to say, I just it just feels so much like Far Cry Primal in some ways that I, I wish they had done something different because I liked Far Cry Primal a lot. I feel like that game was very successful. I feel like Horizon is doing the exact same thing, but it is less successful at what it's doing. So um, I loved, I loved, I loved those first four or five hours. They were so great. I was so on board. Uh, and I just, I, I, mm, I don't know, man. I don't think I'm going to finish it because if something good comes out in the next week or two, I probably wouldn't have a hard time dropping it. And that's kind of sad because I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. That is really sad, but at least, um, I mean, the good news for me is this is going to sound selfish, but, uh, I was not really that interested in the game in the first place. I mean, I always kind of figured I'd play it, but I wasn't like, oh, I have to play this game immediately. And I remember last week, whenever you were talking about it and saying that it sounded good, I kept thinking like, okay, it sounds kind of good, but I'm still not really that interested in it. So this makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that I'm not like super duper pumped about this game. You can check it off your list. I mean, if you played Far Cry Primal, that's basically what this game is for more, you know, for, for better or worse. And if you've had a good time with that experience i don't think you need to repeat it i mean if you really want to you know get it from gamefly play that first four or five hours and like when you get out of the village just stop because it doesn't get any better <laughs> i mean it, it literally doesn't like that's the best part of the game so far i mean people say there's some story twists later on maybe so but i don't think it's really worth slogging through all this generic open world stuff so play the first four hours send it back and call it good man that would be my advice yeah i mean if i play it i'm definitely going to play it from I'm definitely going to get it from Gamefly. There's, like, not a chance in hell that I'm going to no, buy No, don't buy it. So. No, don't buy it. Don't buy it. No, 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 no. So, anyway, that's Horizon. I'm really sad. I'm really sad. I thought this was going to be a good one. I was really behind it. I was ready to love it. And I did love it at first. But it just was not able to sustain that level of quality all the way through. I mean, if you're not tired of the general open world shit, go for it. But I'm pretty tired of general open world. And, I mean, let's let's face facts, okay? I know you didn't like The Witcher, uh, Witcher 3. But I love The Witcher 3. The Witcher 3 is like an amazing fucking game. That is like that is like a next level kicking up the quality all in. Like they employed the entire country of Poland to make that game. And it showed. Like that game was fucking phenomenal. Side quests, every side quest, interesting. Stuff you find in the countryside, super interesting. Combat, you know, it wasn't like super technical, but it was satisfying and you felt like you were progressing. We now live in a post-Witcher 3 world. That is just a fact. So any fucking open world game that comes now, you have to look at Witcher 3 and say, what did Witcher 3 do? Do we do better than Witcher 3? I guarantee you the answer is no. Like, I think the only people to top Witcher 3 are the same people going to be topping it with uh, Cyberpunk. I expect that to be a wonderful project. But if you're going to come along with your open world thing and think just being open world is enough, you are mistaken because the bar is set so fucking high now. Everything else looks bad in comparison. So... I mean, I felt like I felt like Horizon had a chance because it had a really cool premise and a really cool looking world, but it does not match up. It it is like it is standing there holding the Witcher 3's like dirty towel and just standing on the sidelines. It's not even in the game right now. So post Witcher 3 world, everybody, you gotta step it up. Gotta step it up. Um Yeah, I mean that's only like the six thousandth time I've heard you go on that rant about how good the Witcher 3 is. It was so good, dude. It, I know you don't like it, but it was so good. It's amazing. It is amazing. Okay, well, I'm tired of hearing you talk about The Witcher 3. 
I'll only tell it to you maybe like 10 or 15 more times. Oh, God, no. I'm just we'll going to take it. my headphones off next time. We'll go through it. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I'll, I'll tweet you when I'm done. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, what it, well, let's talk about something else. What do you want to talk about Let's next? talk about something else. I think you got something to talk about, Corey Motley. I do, um, which I teased to last week. I want to talk about Super Hot. Super Hot. Because I played Super Hot VR a week, and I guess it was like a week ago, almost exactly. Uh, I went to my college town, Columbia, hang out with, uh, to hang out with one of my best guy friends, Jason, who I've name-dropped on the show like a hundred million times. Um his one of his friends nick has an oculus rift with the little controllers for it and he's got like a badass like projection set up in his in his apartment and he let me play super hot vr and um i played all of super hot vr the game only takes about an hour an hour and a half so it's pretty short um Wow, that's even shorter than Super Hot, and Super Hot was already short. Yeah, but I feel like it works well with VR because I don't feel like VR, like a VR game, is the kind of thing where you want to be strapped in for like ten hours. Like I feel like an hour is about enough, um, especially because I feel like they developed it on pretty they they developed it pretty quickly um, as a as an exclusive for Oculus because Super Hot, the PC game, has only been out for about a year. It came out in January of last year. The console version came out in like June or something. And then they like immediately started working on the Oculus version. Um, but that's a little beside the point. Um, basically, uh, super hot. I, I love super hot. It was my game of the year last year. I'm obsessed with that game and I got to play super hot VR and basically it works pretty much just about exactly how you think it would. Like you have the headset on and then the game boots up and it looks exactly like super hot. So the whole environment is white and everything looks like it's sort of carved out of like, like, uh, like hyper saturated white concrete. You have the polygonal red humanoid figures that are like shooting at you or trying to punch you or whatever. And the game kind of follows a very similar path of the PC and console version of super hot where you're in a level you just kind of like spawn into the level and the level has like a little title or something. And then you have to kill a certain amount of the red dudes. Um, the hook of course being that time only moves when you do. And that holds true for the VR version too. So you have both the the little controller handles and of course each one represents one of your hands. So you have to move physically slowly like in real life in order to move slowly in the game. Because if you move too quickly, the, the red dudes are going to shoot you and you die in one hit and then it's all over with. Um, so it's kind of like like a nice little like like full body like bullet ballet where you are you spawn into a level. Um, you, you don't move a whole lot. You have like a little space that you can move in. But the game is definitely not about like, you know, running around and, you know, running from side to side and jumping around. It's more about standing in one place and sort of like twisting your body and maybe taking like one or two steps like to the left or the right and maybe turning around um, to see if there's any enemies around you dodging their bullets and trying to fight back and most levels spawn you uh facing the enemies more or less or where the enemies are going to be coming from usually there's like an assortment of weapons in front of you or there's weapons very close by and then you can reach down and pick them up and you can shoot them and you just have to be very careful about how quickly you move because the faster you move the faster the enemies move um, before I go on, do you have any comments or questions? No, I mean, I'm listening to you. I mean, it sounds basically like 
super hot. I mean, <laughs> I guess my I guess my 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 two questions that I'm thinking of. Uh, number one, I mean, did you get sick or did you feel like tired afterwards? Uh, and then the other one uh, is I forget what it was because I'm tired. But go ahead and answer that first one, and I will think of my second question. Okay. Uh, the good news is I did not feel sick. I am somehow, I don't know if it's because I am godlike or because I'm young or because I just don't have part of my brain or something, but I've used VR a couple times with about a dozen different games and I do not get motion sick from it. Like I, I've played different kinds of games. I've played games where you physically move with the D pad in the world instead of walking around. And I mean, at first it's a little jarring, but after like five seconds, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Like I have never felt like I'm going to throw up. I've never felt sick or anything. So that's the good news. I did not feel sick from playing super hot. However, it did make me tired because I mean, we're talking about squirming your body around and like ducking and standing up and moving to the left, moving to the right, but doing it all in really slow motion. So, I mean, there's certain parts where you're pretty much like crouching on the ground or squatting and you're like kind of holding a squat and and moving in slow motion. Of course, doing exercise period is A, difficult and B, doing exercise in slow motion is even more difficult because your muscles have to, you know, strain that much longer to be able to do things longer and slower. So, I mean... I was sweating like, like five minutes into this game. I like my palms were sweating. My back was sweating. Not like I was, you know, jogging or working out, but it's intense. And it was also a little bit physically demanding. And one genius thing that the game does is in like this, I think it's the second or third level of the game. It starts you on like a skyscraper that's kind of halfway through being built And so you're standing on a beam on the skyscraper and you look down and you're like on the beam and there's nothing on the sides of you. And even though I knew it was in VR and I knew I had the headset on, it was still really scary and like really kind of shook me a little bit because you look down and it's like you're you're standing on this beam like several hundred stories up in the air. And meanwhile, there's like dudes around you on the other beams trying to shoot you and you have to like twist and move while you're trying to stay balanced on this beam. And it was really scary, but... The big, big thing that I do not like about Superhot VR, and this is probably the only thing I don't like about Superhot VR, is that every level, um, if you've played Superhot, you know there are very small self-contained levels. Each level only takes about maybe like five minutes tops to beat. The shortest level probably takes about 30 seconds to beat. And then once you finish the level, the game checkpoints, you move on to the next level, and so on and so forth for, you know, I don't know, 25 levels or however many are in Superhot. Well, Superhot VR is kind of the same, where you're in one physical space, and then you say you fight off like five enemies in one space, and then the game teleports you to a slightly different area within the same like building or the same level, and then you fight off X amount of enemies, and then you teleport to a different area and fight off X amount of enemies, and usually you do that about maybe about five times, and then after the five teleports, a little uh, pyramid appears in front of you and you have to reach out and grab it with your hand, and then that signals the very end of like that uh, like kind of self-contained level. But the thing that really uh, irritated me about Super Hot VR is that, say if you get to the fifth tele- to like teleportor- uh, I can't say it, teleportation um, in the single level and you die, you have to do all of them over again up until that point. So the game does not physically checkpoint you until you finish um, all the teleports of that level. And I didn't get stuck very often, but there were a couple of levels where I made it all the way to the very last check, to the very last teleport. 
And I kept dying. I would die like three or four times. And then I would have to do the first, the second, the third, and the fourth one all over again several times. And I was getting very irritated because I feel like the game should just checkpoint you on each teleport. And then sometimes, you know, I would get to the fifth one and I would die. And then I'd have to start over at one. And then I would die on the third one. And then I have to start over at one and then make it to the fifth one and then die and then start over at one. And it got kind of irritating. But uh, I do have to say, uh, you know, not just to like, brush my own shoulder off a little bit but uh nick said that i was definitely the best person that he's seen play super hot so far and he also said that i was the best at throwing ninja stars in the game <laughs> i would i would expect that to be the case i i'm not surprised by that at all knowing you and your your uh proficiency with uh asian weapons that makes sense to me. <laughs> but uh let me ask you though so i'm still not really on the vr train i mean i've tried all the different headsets and i've you know, I've, I've, I've been through them. I haven't played a lot. I don't own any, but it's like, you know, I think it's cool for a few minutes, but I just don't see myself really like doing that. You know, like, I guess like as you're playing it, I know you really like super hot. I really like super hot too. Um, the original one. So, but like playing this, like it doesn't motivate me to like, Oh, I want to get a helmet. I want to play, I want to play super hot VR. Like, I mean, it sounds sounds like a really short experience, so maybe that's not worth getting a, a VR setup. But like, as you were playing it, like, did you just think like, this is cool? But so what? Or were you like, oh my god, this is fucking amazing! I love VR so much. Or like, 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 just what was your gut takeaway from it? I mean, just as someone who is um, not on the VR train yourself in your own home yet, but I know you've tried a couple times. I mean, just I mean, is it is it really like a thing, or is it just a novelty for you still? Or what's what's your take on it? Well, I still think it's a little bit of a novelty. I had a much stronger reaction the very first time I experienced VR, which was um, like six to eight months ago. I tried the HTC Vive first, which we talked about on the show. Um, that time I had a much stronger reaction just because I had never experienced VR in my life before and I thought it was incredible. But it wasn't the kind of thing where I took the headset off and thought, okay, I immediately need to go out and spend $800 on this. That was not the case at all. So this time around with the Oculus and with Superhot, um, I didn't have as strong as a reaction because I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, driving a car for the second time or something like that. Like, you've already done it once. You kind of know what you're in for. Um, however, I have to say that Superhot is the best thing I have played on VR. It is. And maybe it's partly because I just love the game itself that much. But despite the fact that it's only an hour, it feels like a complete package of a video game. Whereas everything else I've played on VR just kind of feels like a little bit tech demo-y. And that's not to say that the other stuff I've played isn't fun it's just nothing else that i've played feels like a fully fleshed out game and like for the realm of super hot i feel like if you play super hot on pc or on the xbox one it's almost like the game was like meant to be in vr like it's almost like they created the console version as a tech demo to be the vr like the vr spec for the full release it just feels so right to play that game in vr however i'm still not you know, going to go out and buy an Oculus or anything this weekend. It's going to be probably a long time before I get a VR headset. Um, however, I think that, you know, even if it's a year from now and I end up getting VR, I mean, Superhot is the best thing I've played. It's a damn shame that it's uh, Oculus exclusive because I would love to play it on the HTC Vive because I think that's a better VR set. Um, but it'll be nice. I mean, it'll be difficult because I like the HTC so much that, you know, down the line a year or six months or two years, even if I decide to get to get VR, um, you know, I would originally want to get the HTC. But the fact that Superhot is on the Oculus is kind of making me 
think again on that unless it ends up being sort of a timed exclusive and they bring it to HTC later. But I still don't think Superhot is like a system seller. I wouldn't t- I wouldn't dare tell anybody, oh yeah, go spend 300 or 400 or $800 for VR sets. So you can play this one hour Superhot game. But I do think it's the best thing that I've played so far. Interesting. Interesting. Fair enough. Um, I have not seen anything to get me even close to considering getting VR, um, but I do like Super Hot. I mean, it sounds cool, but again, this is not that thing that tips me over the side. So I will just make a note of that. And at some point, if it ever comes to a potential VR helmet that I may possibly buy in the future, then I will I will buy it at that time. But for right now, <laughs> sounds good. But, you know, Let's move on really quickly, Corey. I know that you also uh, wanted to do a really quick uh, check-in on The Last Guardian before we move on to our, our final topic. What's up with Last Guardian? Did Gamefly send it to you? Did you play it? Did you do Pet Trico? What's up, man? Um, yes, all of the above, actually. Um, I I know we've talked about The Last Guardian a few times on the show, but I've never actually played it myself. Um, but I got it from... I feel bad because I got it from Gamefly like... And it sat on my coffee table for like a full month because I just didn't think I was going to like it and I wasn't really that interested in playing it. But eventually I got around to it and I played it like two weeks ago. And I have to say it actually started off a lot better than I thought than I thought it was going to be. Like the, the beginning, it gets you into things pretty fast. Um, you know, you wake up in the little prison cell right next to Trico, which is the big like cat dog bird griffin thing. And, you know, it kind of gets the ball rolling pretty quickly. However, so I was pleasantly surprised. I was liking it a lot more than I thought I was going to be. But um, there's a giant, you know, capital H, however, coming up. And I have to say, uh, I I got to the point in the game where your relationship with Trico starts to evolve and you can start issuing him face button commands where you hold one of the one of the uh, triggers and you can you can press one of the face buttons to give him different commands to do things. And I feel like at that point, the game kind of lost me like pretty heavily because up until that point in the game, which is about two hours maybe in, pretty much the only thing you can do is call out to Trico and he will either he will pretty much just come toward you and that's it. Like you can call him and he'll come around or you can get on top of him and like pet him or like ride him a little bit. And once you get to the face button command thing, like the game does not tell you what the face buttons do. It's just like, oh, you can issue him commands with the face buttons. And that's all well and good because this is not the kind of game that like hands you stuff on a silver platter. You kind of have to work for it. But I got to a point where shortly after you get the face button commands where there's like a door and you can tell that Trico wants to go through it. And you one of the button, the face button commands will like try to make him like charge through the door. But every time he headbutts it, he won't open it. And there's like a staircase over on the side that's like half disintegrated. And I what I think that maybe I have to, like, get him over toward the staircase and try to, like, lift him up or make him, like, go up on his hind legs so I can jump onto the staircase or something. And uh, first of all, I cannot figure out what the fuck to do because I get stuck in this game a lot. And second of all, the game doesn't have any kind of, like, hint system or anything. Like, I wish that this game had... um, And the first Mirror's Edge, there was a dedicated face button where if you held the button, it just made... 
uh, Faith look up to like the final objective in the level so she could know where she's going. I wish this game had that because I have no clue which way I'm supposed to go or if I'm supposed to do the staircase or if I'm supposed to keep make, make him keep headbutting the door to like break it open or something. And then sometimes I tried to get him to go over to the staircase and then he jumps back across like the little like ravine that we had come from. And I know that that's the point of the game. Like you're kind of working with him to train him to figure out what to do. He doesn't always listen to you, but I very quickly, once I got to the face button command thing, um, kind of fell into the, the attitude of like, you know, I just don't have time for this. Like I, uh, it was smooth sailing up until that point, And now I'm just too impatient and there's too many other games that I want to play right now. And I just don't have time to be like fucking around with this giant cat who won't listen to me. And on top of me, not even know where to go and not even knowing where to go in the first place. So I have not picked it back up. I played it for two nights and I was enjoying it more than I thought I would. And then the game handed me a little bit more responsibility with Trico and the bottom kind of fell out for me. That is an experience uh, mirrored by quite a few people. I mean, I, uh, I I hear that. I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I, I have been in that mindset myself. I mean, I played through the game. I really liked it a lot, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I don't know for sure, but I think one of the buttons lets the main character, like, meditate, and he'll kind of think about what you're supposed to do, but they don't tell you you can do that. And I'm not even 100% sure that's what it is. I think there's some kind of very, very rudimentary hint system but it's it's probably not going to solve um the issue that most people have or like you're kind of saying where you just you just are not in that mindset you just don't want to um engage in it on that level and that's fine like i I definitely don't think this is a game for everybody i would never 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 recommend this game to just anybody like i would totally give them a bunch of caveats and say you know if if you like their other work if you are really patient if you got you know no pressure if you're willing to work with this thing, you know, if, 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 then I think it's a really tremendous experience. I mean, it was a good fit for me because I was able to, you know, check all the boxes that I think you need to check in order to get into this game and engage with it fully. So I really liked it a lot. And it was one of my, one of my games of the year last year, but I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I've, I've heard so many people, um, and, and to be fair, I think you were, you're pretty civil about it. I've heard a lot of people have some very like, I don't want to say violently negative reactions, (laughs) but I've heard a lot of people like really go off on it. And I just have to kind of shake my head because I think that you understand what the game is and you simply choose to not participate, which is great. Um, You know, to each his own and not every game is for every person. But when I see those people who just like, just go off about, Oh, what a shitty game. And Oh, fuck this game. And it's so stupid. And I don't have the time for this. And blah, blah. It's like, it's, you don't like it and that's okay. Let's take a deep breath. But, you know, not not everything is for everybody. Not every movie is every for everybody. Not every book is for everybody. Not every game is for everybody. And how many times in video games are we really asked to use patience? Are we really asked to use understanding? How many times are we put in the position of not being totally empowered? I mean, most games are empowerment fantasies. So here's a game that comes along, challenges that expectation. And of course, it's not going to be for everybody. But let's just let's just allow it to be like, let's not tear it down. Let's not slag it off. Let's just say, OK, well, this guy is doing something that is different from the norm. He's breaking away from whatever the people are doing. And that's fine. How about we just let that go its own separate way? You know, don't have to play it. Don't have to be its friend. Don't even have to like it. But I mean, seeing the reaction of some of these people that were so hot and just so angry, I was like, man. You know, this is why we never get new things, you know, in the AAA space. That's why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things, you know, like seriously. 
anytime somebody tries to do something a little different, people fucking flip the fuck out. And it's like, if, you know, this this guy who's a well-known quantity, Fumito Ueda, he's a well-known auteur, people know what he puts out. People know Eco. People know Shadow of the Colossus. These are the critically acclaimed games that, again, are not for everybody, but people know what he's doing. And he's 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 continuing to, to mine that, that territory. He's trying to mine that material. Can we not just let him mine it? Can we not just respect what he's doing and just say that it's something different? I mean... Really disappointing, but I mean, I, I don't fault you at all for not liking it. I get why you don't like it, and it makes sense to me, and I think that's totally fine. But man, seeing those people who just like fucking like get so angry about it, I'm like, man, like, what kind of person are you that you're so angry at this game? You know, like, calm, calm the fuck down. Just let it go, you know? That's true. It's like one of those things where a person's reaction to something says a lot more about them than it does about the product that they're reacting to. Exactly, exactly. Like you, you are so allergic to like not being 100% empowered that you are calling this thing, you know, a terrible piece of shit. Like, well, okay, well, <laughs> look at yourself, you know, like, you know, I mean, what you can't tolerate this thing. What does that mean about you? Exactly. So, you know, I don't think people have to like it, but I think it's really wrongheaded to slag it. And I think we should just let it be. So if it's not for you, not for you, totally respect that. But I think that game deserves respect also. Yeah, and I already have a terrible feeling that I, like, I still have it from Gamefly right now because I keep thinking, like, okay, well, what if I get bored or what if I have nothing to play, I can come back to it. But um, I do have to say, and I know this is going to excite you, Brad, is that I just got Yakuza 0 from Gamefly in the mail yesterday, and I have not started it, and I have never played a Yakuza game before, but, except for, like, one demo for one on the PlayStation 3, but uh, I, after hearing you and, like, a million people talk about it, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. And if I like it, I know I'm going to be playing that for the next, like, six months of my life. And there's not a chance that I'm going to be going back to The Last Guardian if I start playing that. Interesting. You should just send Last Guardian back. I think you've gotten your taste. I don't think it's going to change for you. I think you should just send it back and just get something else from Gamefly. Um, I would be really, really curious to see what you make of Yakuza 0, especially since you've never played one. I think it's the most accessible. I think it's really good, but I think it's really weird. I mean... If you're prepared to go in for like hardcore Japanese weirdness, I mean, maybe you like it, maybe you won't. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think in my head, will Corey like this or not? I honestly <laughs> don't know. To be frank, I think you might be bored by it, but I'm curious to see what you think. So jump in and let's talk about it next time. Well, I've heard that it has similarities to Shinmu, and I really liked Shinmu back in the day. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is a lot like Shenmue. It is like the, um, the tougher bigger more polished uh and uh more entertaining version of Shenmue so if you like Shenmue a lot then this they, well maybe you will like it uh, that would be uh that would be a cool thing I would have to uh chat with you about it compare notes I mean maybe it'll click we'll see yeah and we'll there's see. like a ton of naked dudes in this game too so maybe oh, it's up your alley. Shit. yeah all right well, tons tons of naked I'm gonna, Asian I'm gonna start playing as soon as we hang up this podcast then <laughs> <laughs> all right we will talk about that in the future and I think for the moment, I think that's all the games we were going to talk about. But, Corey, you've got something else up your sleeve this week, my friend. You want to uh, share with us what we're going to be discussing now? I do. I um, This is going to be a very sloppy topic discussion, mostly because I didn't do a ton of research on it. But um, I thought I would get into the spirit of the awards season. And uh, the Oscars are happening right this moment as we're discussing, we're discussing video games. And not only are the Oscars happening, but a few nights ago, the Dice Awards happened, which is the... Um, what's it called, the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. The DICE Awards are going on right now, and DICE stands for Design, Innovate, Communicate, and Entertain. And they are basically, I feel like the DICE Awards might be the most credible game awards show. What do you think, Brad? 
God, I guess. Um, I, yeah, I suppose. I or mean, maybe does does GDC do awards, or am I making that? They up? They do do awards. They do. I don't think they televise them, or do they? Do they just? Stream I don't know. Them? They I might stream them. Maybe GDC is like the best, and then like Dice is under yeah, that. Yeah, I think GDC is maybe a notch above Dice for sure. Okay, well, Dice Dice is definitely up there. It's like you know above and beyond. You know, like the Spike TV, like stupid video game awards and stuff like that. But it still is not without its caveats. And I was looking through the winners list the other day, and something. Um, that, that interested me, and it has for a while, but I've never really had a platform or an urgency to discuss it until now, is how whenever video game awards, whether it be, you know, a televised award or like a website award or magazines or whatever, a lot of times they will do categories. And the way that certain publications and certain awards shows um, categorize games for awards and whenever they show what games are in what categories, I always find that kind of fascinating because you can tell that the categories more often than not are sort of like, they're sort of like categories that maybe have been used for like 20 years and a lot of, or maybe like 50 years even, but a lot of, no, that's not true. Um, but a lot of, uh, a lot of video games have, have gotten a lot different since back in the day. I mean, cause you know, like a lot of categories, it's like best action game and best RPG. And, you know, there's a lot of other stuff out there now that wasn't necessarily like a category back whenever uh, video game awards were sort of, um, I guess, coming to fruition back in the day. And I just wanted to call out a few names. I did some, I want to name check a few things because I looked at the Dice Awards list and I, I just kind of handpicked some different publications and uh, caught some things that I thought were interesting. Um, and Brad, you can jump in uh, whenever I talk about these and we can discuss them together. But uh, for the Dice Awards, uh, their game of the year was Overwatch, which that's kind of neither here nor there. I just made um, a game of the year uh, mention for every publication that I'm about to go through. But uh, the first thing I discovered about Dice is that um, they have an art direction award, which I am A-OK with art direction awards. I think that's I think having an art direction award is much better than just saying like, best graphics because that seems very childish but one thing that i thought was interesting about their art direction category is that battlefield one and uncharted four are both were both nominated for art direction and i feel like battlefield one and uncharted four like they're certainly very nice looking games but whenever i look at those games i don't necessarily feel like they have a very distinct visual identity that sort of like separates them from the pack because they're just more or less going after like realism, like more or less. And I know realism is an art style, but the other games that were nominated in the category, which were Inside, Firewatch, and The Last Guardian, those are three games that have a very distinct flavor. And when I look at them, there are not very many games that look like them. However, Uncharted 4 and Battlefield 1, for however good they look, there's dozens and dozens of games out there that look exactly like these games, where it's just shooting for, you know, as real as it can possibly get. And maybe that's how sort of like they shovel in like the best graphics, quote unquote, into the art direction category. Inside ended up winning, which I'm fine with. Um, but I just feel like Battlefield and Uncharted 4 don't have distinct enough visual identities to qualify them for an art direction award. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that art direction to me kind of says, what is your aesthetic? What is like the stylization that you're going for? I mean, picking something like Uncharted or Battlefield 1, it just like I want to draw a line between we have like the most powerful graphics or we, we have the most graphics, you know, <laughs> like like there's the difference between sticking eight billion polygons in someone's nose. And when you look at their face on screen, like it looks like a real face, like cool. Like, I get that. It's fine. 
But that to me is not like art direction. That is like a technical achievement. Um, maybe somebody listening would think that I'm maybe drawing a, a line in the wrong place. But to me, just making something more real is not really an art direction achievement. That is more of just like, hey, look at the level of tech we have. Hey, look at how good our tool rendering tools are. Hey, look how many pixels we can put on this thing. You know, that's not the same as we're only going to use these certain colors of the palette or, oh, we're going to be abstracting the background to create a certain effect or we're going to be doing lighting a certain way to create like human emotion in this one scene. Like those things are like art direction to me. Like if you're communicating something, emotion, thoughts, feelings through the abstraction that you see on the screen, realism is like on the opposite side of that. So I'm not sure why they would include those things together. I totally agree with you. I think that like, that's like a whole different category. I mean, maybe it's its own category. Maybe if there's an award for most most believable pores on an, on an eyebrow or something, <laughs> but that's not the same thing as art direction to me. So I'm with you on that one. Right. Right. And that actually kind of leads me to the next category that I thought was interesting is that they have a, uh, a category called outstanding technical achievement. And when I was making the notes for this, I very foolishly did not write down all the nominees, but I, but one did stick out for me. Um, it did not win, but battlefield one was nominated for outstanding technical achievement. And I, I have to wonder how it made it into that category in the first place, because I don't understand what is such an outstanding technical achievement about Battlefield 1 that qualifies it for that category. No clue. I did actually play Battle... I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but I did play Battlefield 1 uh, like two weeks ago. Oh, I no. did not play... Yeah, I didn't play... I, it wasn't even worth talking about because I played it. I'm like, <laughs> eh, done. I kicked it back out after like half an hour. Uh, but yeah, it looked just like every other shooter. I don't know what was special about it. I mean, maybe again, maybe it's like most polygons or most pixels or whatever, but yeah, I, I was like, this looks like every other fucking game I've ever played. That's a shooter. So I'm, I'm really bored of it already. I am pre bored with this game and I was done with it. So who knows? Maybe it's just a really hardcore technical thing that we poor layman cannot possibly understand. That's true. Um, and the next dice category I thought was interesting was they have a category called role-playing slash massively multiplayer game of the year, which first of all, those are like two entirely different categories, like put into one category itself. And second of all, Deus Ex Mankind Divided was nominated in this category. I do not think Deus Ex Mankind Divided is technically an RPG and it's sure as hell not a massively multiplayer game. So, I mean, it is an action game with RPG elements, but it is not an RPG. So I just think it's bizarre that it was in this category in the first place. Yeah, that sounds really weird to me. Um, maybe it was not able to be nominated in any other category. And so they were kind of shoehorning it in because they felt like they wanted to give it some love somehow. I mean, I've, I've seen that happen before where, you know, somebody is, you know, wants to throw some love at a team or they really want to recognize the game, but they just can't figure out where to slip it in. And maybe this is where they, they want to give it a nod, but yeah, I don't see, I, it's definitely not a massive multiplayer. And I wouldn't, I would not say it's a role-playing game either. I would say, like you said, action game with RPG elements. I wouldn't say it's a role-playing game at all, but you know, maybe they think that just the choices you make qualify it enough as being role-playing. I don't, I personally don't think so, but, um, I guess somebody at dice does. Yeah, I guess so. And, uh, the next, uh, my last dice category that I thought was interesting was outstanding achievement in game design. And uh, I noticed, I can't remember what one in here. I took really bad notes earlier, like I said, but uh, the games Inside and Uncharted 4 were both nominated for outstanding achievement in game design. And even though I love Inside and I think Uncharted 4 is okay, I have to say um, 
I, I don't really understand what is the outstanding achievement in these games design because Inside is almost a copied and pasted version of Limbo, which was Playdead's previous game. I mean, it's just a side-scrolling platformer. And Uncharted 4 is just a copy-paste of Uncharted 3, which was a copy-paste of Uncharted 2, which was a copy-paste of Uncharted 1. So I don't really understand what exactly is outstanding in the game design for either of these games. I guess it depends on what you mean by game design. Although, regardless, I do agree that those are all just cut and pasted games. <laughs> I'm sure some people out there are, are shrieking in horror that we're, we're saying something like that. But I think it's pretty much true. Um, inside, basically Limbo Part 2. I mean, there were a couple of cool puzzles uh, here and there. But like overall, nothing that really made it stand out noticeably from the first game. I, I definitely felt like it was just more of, uh, of Limbo. And as far as Uncharted, I mean, it's Uncharted. It's it's Uncharted, it's Uncharted, it's Uncharted. I don't know what's outstanding there either. I mean, again, is this just like a popularity contest? Everybody likes Naughty Dog, so they got to give love because everybody loves Nathan Drake, I guess. I mean, I don't see anything that's really notable uh, there. I mean, you know, fine enough to play, but I, I wouldn't, you know, say anything stood out to me. I don't know. Question mark, man. Yeah, I don't know either. Um and I want to jump ahead to uh, talk about the the game awards, which are on. I think those are the ones that are on Spike TV, um, probably the biggest televised awards season. Um, and these happened a while ago, so I'm like late to the party on this. But I was looking up some different uh, different categories as I went through to make notes on this. And um, they have a category for action games and they have a category for action adventure games, which is pretty common because usually I don't really know exactly what separates the two, but I feel like those are pretty common common categories and for the action nominees they have battlefield one doom gears 4 overwatch and titanfall 2 and for action adventure they nominated dishonored 2 hitman hyper light drifter ratchet and clank and uncharted 4 which i feel like the action adventure category is much larger like it kind of encompasses a bigger a bigger um i guess like swath of games but I think it's interesting that Uncharted 4 is an action-adventure and not action. It just, like, doesn't... And, and that Overwatch is an action? I don't know. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I would be curious to see how they're drawing the line between action and action-adventure. I mean, if you would just ask me, like, to just off the top of my head to draw that line, I mean, action game, I think, would just be pure, pure action with no story no levels. I mean, that to me kind of says like just shooting. So I think, you know, Doom is probably appropriate. Overwatch is probably appropriate. I don't know that I would put Titanfall 2 in that. I mean, I might, it has got a pretty good campaign and I don't think it's just straight action. I mean, but, but then again, what does action adventure mean? I mean, does that mean, does one have more collectibles than the other? Does one <laughs> have more exploration than the other? I mean, if that's the case, Doom had a fair amount of exploration. So why is it not action adventure? So maybe that's not the line. I don't quite know what the line is i mean hitman would would that even count as action adventure i i would see it as more of just like straight up action or it's um, like a puzzle game i mean wearing yeah, the long yeah. dark coat of an action game yeah exactly like i these are just really super nebulous i mean it seems to me like they're just kind of like scattershot putting these things in different baskets i mean maybe okay so okay you know full disclosure we didn't go to the website we didn't read the 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 category criteria so maybe we're missing out on something here but just like looking at the games they selected I'm having a hard time um, seeing connections between, you know, each category. So I, I don't know, man. This is really kind of strange to me. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. And I mean, this whole discussion is kind of silly because, I mean, you know, whatever. But I just thought it was interesting to um, 
to discuss. And like I went to Game Informer's website and looked at some of their stuff too. And they um, Uncharted Uncharted Four won Best Action Game for Game Informer. However, it was an action adventure game for the for the Game Awards. Um, and Firewatch won Best Adventure Game from Game Informer, which wasn't even categorized in action adventure games and Game Informer. And it's certainly not an action game by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, I don't know, man. And Overwatch won Best Shooter and Game of the Year from Game Informer. And I, I know Overwatch is a shooter, but I don't... I mean, I think of it as like an online shooter. Like, I feel like that should be a separate category other than just like shooter itself. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that should be like in the online game category or maybe like the team or maybe even like the esports category or something because it's not just a shooter. I mean, to, in my mind, a shooter is like I'm just at home and I'm going to play through a bunch of levels and I'm going to, you know, get from point A to point B, fight a boss. It's a shooter. That's just like a shooter. But like that is not what Overwatch is. That to me is just team based action. That's online action. I, I would I would definitely separate those things. I mean, I, it's fine enough as as game of the year. I mean, I think it's definitely deserving of that title. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's just a shooter by by no means. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just think it's very interesting. And the last one I want to talk about is um, is Giant Bomb. They had uh, their their best story was Uncharted Four, which I think is kind of a joke because I think the Uncharted Four series. I think it has a terrible story. I think Uncharted 4 has a terrible story, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, but it's been winning best story and best narrative crap like everywhere, um, which I think says a lot more about the people who are voting for it rather than the game itself. But what really interested me about best story for Giant Bomb was that Doom was the first runner up for best story at Giant Bomb. That's fucking ridiculous. I Okay, so like... <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm not a fan of Giant Bomb. I've uh, tried to listen to their podcast a few times, and I just I just don't click into it. I am not really a person who partakes of their material. So this is not an insult against them or anything. But, you know, a lot of people, um, when Doom was making the rounds, and I heard that Giant Bomb was giving it a lot of love, and they were trying to make a case where if you read all the journals or whatever, that there was a lot of, like, subversive stuff happening, and it was really clever writing. But, I mean, I, I don't know, dude. I just, I just can't see taking those like little text notes and stuff and calling that a story. I mean, maybe people would fight me on that, but to me, a story, if you're going to nominate something for best story, it's got to be something you're going to put up front and center. You're going to let people into that story. You're not going to make them work too hard for, you know, trying to piece it together. And the little bits of text that I found, I was like, whatever, I'm not even going to bother reading these because <laughs> who cares? So it's, it seems to me like a real stretch to kind of put doom in the best story category, but I know you like doom a lot more than I did. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I liked Doom. I think it's a great game. But, uh, I mean, as far as the story is concerned, I I mean, that game barely has a story, which, I mean, is a knock against it, but I still love it. But, I mean, you're a, a Marine from hell who wakes up on a Mars research facility and you have to shoot demons for 10 hours, and then the game is pretty much over. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of like depth to a single character in that game. Um, I mean, I can't believe we're even talking about this in the first place, like doom being nominated for best story. Um, but I agree with you. Like even if you read through all of the little notes in the game and maybe there is some like really good fleshed out stuff in there, like that's not, that's not an acceptable way to push forward a decent story to me. Like the story has to be, has to present itself to you and has to suck you into it. You don't, place a bunch of text documents that are completely optional reads around a game environment and then call that a good story. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it might be it might be good world building. It might be good flavor. It might be good texture for your world. I disagree. I think text documents are bullshit. <laughs> uh, but you know, whatever. Where people, some people like them, and that's fine. Audio logs hate those too. Uh, but yeah, I don't see that as acceptable for something to be nominated for best story. So I I am with you on that one. I don't do not see it for Doom. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. Um, and that's coming from a pretty big Doom fan. But uh, I think that's all That's all I think I had to say about Game Awards and stuff. Is there anything you wanted to add or any categories that I missed that you thought were interesting? Uh, yeah, I mean, nothing about any site in specific, but <clears throat> excuse me, just that, you know, Game Awards are kind of weird and, you know, games are so different and so varied and just trying to put these together kind of shows like how difficult it is to compare apples to oranges to bananas to tangerines to whatever you know like uh, i mean like we played games for like all these time all these years a long time and even uh, even we are trying to struggle to like well what's an action game what's an action adventure game i don't know what what constitutes this what constitutes that so i mean i guess if you look at these awards ceremonies as just like something fun something to you know applaud for people who deserve some applause just to kind of give some love here and there and not think of it too seriously i think that's fine but you know, if you try to put more stock into it and really try to like justify it and really try to like say that these awards mean something, I think that kind of breaks down. So I guess I guess take it with a pretty big grain of salt and just enjoy enjoy them for what they are and, you know, uh, praise the people who get nominated and let's just move on and let's just say it's not too big of a deal. All right, then it's settled. You and I are running all of the game awards for every publication from from now on, I guess. We are in charge. <laughs> Well, um, I think that's about all I had to say about Game Awards. Is there anything else in general before we sign off that you want to talk about? No, man. I think that's good. I think we came back uh, with a vengeance back to our normal <laughs> format, and uh, I think we're, we're back in the saddle. So I, I do want to say, though, um, I, I really uh, i am breaking from the awards category just off topic here, but I am, I'm still really curious to hear more comments from people, whether they liked our freeform structure or whether they liked traditional structure. Uh, new Coke or original Coke? Let us know what you prefer. Um, we didn't get a whole lot of feedback, so I am curious. I mean, maybe they were both fine. I don't know. Give us a give us a uh, a note. Give us an email. Give us a tweet, and let us know what you think. I mean, maybe we'll do both. Maybe we'll just stay in the regular format. I don't know. I'm curious to hear more opinions. So if you listen to the show, and I know you're listening, we do have listeners. I know you're out there. Uh, just let us know what you thought. Take a take two seconds and give us some feedback. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, as always, as we say at the end of the episode every time, um, if you do want to give us feedback, we can be found on Twitter. Our user handle is SoVideoGames. Um, pretty innovative right there. And our uh, Gmail address, if you guys want to email us directly, is uh, SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. And that will get pushed to at least my phone. I have push notifications on for that email address and for the Twitter handle. So anything you guys send me, I will see nearly immediately. Um, but uh, yeah, Brad, unless you have anything else, I think I think we're ready to roll. I think I'm good for this week. So everybody, thanks very much for listening. And I think this is going to be bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. And we will see you guys in a week. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. One more thing. What? Sorry, sorry, sorry. False alarm, false alarm. Uh, I wanted, before we go, I wanted to say special shout out to brand new super fan of the show, Katie Stubbs, who has been um, recommending our show to tons of people on Twitter. Um, she's actually a super fan of, I want to say it's Kane and Rince, I think, because 
I recognize her name as being someone who listened to another podcast because they had given her a shout out on that show. And so I guess she's getting well known as being like a lover of podcasts. So <laughs> she's a pretty cool person. And she listened to our show. I forget who recommended it to her, but she listened and then she liked it. And she has been doing God's work by spreading the word about our show on Twitter. So Katie Stubbs, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, spreading the word and recommending our show. And thank you um, for being a new fan. So thanks a lot. That we is totally true. I was in line for donuts this morning and I was with uh, some friends that came in town and the little pop-up notification happened on my phone where she, um, somebody had asked, you know, in the Twitter ethos about podcasts and she recommended our show and a couple of other shows with ours in the same tweet. And I read the tweet and I looked up at my friends and I was like, you know, I feel really cool that like people I don't know are recommending my podcast to other people. Like how neat is it? It's like, it's almost like we're famous, Brad. Almost. We're getting there. We're getting there. So uh, I'm not going to let it go to my head too much. I would recommend the same. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe someday we will uh, get some crystal and celebrate or something oh like that. God. But for now, <laughs> but for now, <laughs> but for now, I'm just going to say thank you very much, Katie. Really appreciate it. And thanks to everybody else who's been listening and recommending the show. We love the love. So thank you all very much. Indeed. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. So, uh, Brad, are you sure you don't have anything else you want to say before we sign off? I think that's it for now. I just, I just, I couldn't forget again. I wanted to work that in there. We're good. We're good. All right. All right. Cool. 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 All right. Well, thanks for listening guys. And, uh, we will see you guys next week for episode 21.